Welcome back to the School of Calisthenics podcast. And today, Tim, I'm calling this one the science sessions. It's very sciencey. The most sciencey session we've done with... Uh, Dave Fleming from AMN Academy, which is very difficult to say for someone who is dyslexic like myself. But um, Applied Movement Neurology. Yes. Very interesting. Some real science. If, you, if you're a science geek, guys, you're going to enjoy this it's one. Fascinating stuff. Um, and one of the great things is that, yes, Dave jumps into some great detail about... Um, a lot around movement, mobility, and and how the body is working as one, and um, but has a very great holistic approach to it, as well as a very individualized approach to how he uh, works with clients. So he starts pretty top level around the physiology, and then it drills down through the the conversation to some real take homes and some philosophy around thinking about movement and particularly being mindful about how you move. So enjoy it, guys. It's a really interesting, enlightening podcast, and we're definitely going to learn a bit more about the body and, and how you can actually think about the complexity of this amazing thing that you've got at your disposal so sit back enjoy it and then you can get out and use this great piece of kit that you've got available to you okay the body so dave welcome um to the school cast the next podcast um if you could just introduce yourself uh, to the listeners and um what um amn academy which is difficult for someone that's um dyslexic like me to try and pronounce um what what it what you're about and what what the amn academy um is all about and then we get it stuck into the questions all right thanks guys well thanks for um having me on it's a pleasure to speak with you guys today um so my name is david fleming i'm the director of education um creator and co-founder of what is called amn academy we are basically an education company for the health fitness and wellness industry and we teach high-level trainers um, osteos and chiros mostly a combination of things we have a whole range of education based on holistic health where we talk about things relate, relating to environment and to mind and meditation and to nutrition obviously movement that's very much a big part of it and we touch on therapy and that and then we also have um a big extensive kind of therapeutic system which I developed which we teach to people to um, help with those who are suffering pain and chronic pain and um, even in some cases dealing with kind of difficult ongoing chronic conditions and some um, even sometimes you know chronic uh, disease processes as well so it's a it's a system that ultimately is is uh, trying to be all-encompassing and looking at the entire human being as a interactive part of the environment and um, providing a system to allow practitioners to get in there and check what's actually going on with an individual human being at any given time through assessment and, and various stimulatory um, effects. Yeah, Dave, I, I love um, that whole holistic um, approach that you take and looking at the, the, the body and everything as one, and, and actually that phrase you said about within the environment. Um, one, of the, one of the aspects and one of the things I... Um, a few years ago came across you guys for the first time is um, the, the movement element of that and what we're doing with calisthenics we've got our sort of two main pillars from our framework talking about movement and strength and how we need to integrate the whole sort of body the whole kinetic chain to be able to move and be strong if we're going to do some of the things and goals that people have got um, within calisthenics and 
I'll, I'll cut straight to the chase of the movement stuff and what, what got me uh, interested in um, in your guys' stuff was you were doing some like voodoo type stuff where you're like someone's um, I don't know got some shoulder flexion restrictions or they've got some restriction around the shoulder and you'd like wiggle their ear and like scratch their nose and then all of a sudden <laughs> their arms go in like way above the head and I was like what is this is this real like and you know, it just um that stuff um, really caught my attention, and um, I'd love you to just delve initially into a bit more of the, that, that sort of the the movement restrictions and how you uh, your guys approach to improving movement, whether that's flexibility, mobility, and just and, and some of the different techniques that are probably a lot less or very less unknown um, by the vast majority of people out there. Sure. So yeah, there's a lot of um, lot of nose wiggling and ear, ear scratching <laughs> goes on. Generally speaking, moving your eyes side um, to side and all that jazz. Yeah. So um, I guess let's talk about it. Let, let's start off with just something really popular like yeah. um, flexibility. So generally speaking, one of, one of the things that that started this whole AMA process, I had a background in trying to learn um, an extremely dense and complicated topic called functional neurology, which is is not my work. It's, it's stuff I've been, I was learning from other people, yeah. uh, some other very clever people. And um, while I had an understanding of that in terms of a therapeutic um, sense, in terms of uh, being able to assess neurological pathways and trying to work out where someone's nervous system requires a particular um, increase in excitation, which might be a an ear wiggle or a, you know, a, a, a particular eye position or something or where it needs a particular level of inhibition, which might be some other kind of stimulus. Um, that was very effective, but then I, I never really considered applying it to movement in general, but the, the concepts from the theories are essentially the same. And I met, I met Luke, um, probably close to 10 years ago now. He was an ex elite level gymnast and, I was watching him move and I was discussing with him the ways that he trained. He'd been training since he was like three years old in this whole gymnastics thing. His mom was an elite level gymnastics coach. So he got kind of beaten up, you know, right from the very start with that yeah. stuff. And he's obviously incredibly flexible and I looked at everything that he did. And I thought that's basically what he's doing with gross movement um, is essentially the same concepts that I was trying to learn to apply in an isolated fashion. And it, it was revolved around complexity of movement. So, you know, having to do, a movement at a shoulder to have a particular stimulatory effect that involved movement in circular or figure eight patterns or drawing the alphabet, for example, which is a complex task, which essentially in a very basic sense means the brain pays attention in specific areas. And when you get attention, you get an increase in coherence in firing in the brain, stuff changes. All right. So I noticed that he'd been practicing that throughout his whole body for his entire life. Mm. When it comes to flexible, and that was interesting to me, and I thought, oh, but there's something here. I can probably put together stuff that I understand with movement in general and give a rationale to why gymnasts and caparistas and kung fu, you know, martial artists and stuff are these kind of different human beings. They're just, they move better, they're more flexible, they're, they're strong in ways that you, you can't get with you know, traditional training. Yeah. They're these To me, they were these kind of superhuman beings. And the flexibility thing... Um, the point of that little story is that unless unless you've been in that environment and been stretched and ripped and torn and you know <laughs> bent into all kinds of positions yeah. when you're three years old, 
unless you've also got it naturally, you tend not to have those levels of flexibility. It's not normal to have like Luke to be able to drop down at nearly 40 years old into a full box split and, you know, straddle pancake and just sit there comfortably while he chats you. That's, yeah. that's not normal, right? Yeah. So um, I wanted to also... That's how like, we're sitting right now. Of course, yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it, it was interesting to me that I said, so how, you know, how do we go about gaining increasing flexibility and how, what's the way to do it within the context of understanding the nervous system and bioelectricity and all this other stuff that I, I have a, a, an understanding of. Um, and it, it really, it, it's, it's evolved into a process now that we teach practitioners um, via one of my um, faculty members called um, Scott Robinson, who's developed an approach to tackle um, flexibility specifically from that, from that, that viewpoint. And what it, what it comes down to is being able to assess the individual nervous system specifically for where it requires specific types of inhibition or excitation. That's basically what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. So if someone has very limited range of motion in hip flexion, say, in a, you know, just in hamstring length, um, you can go ahead and use stuff like contract relaxed stretching on it. Um, you can use longer duration static stretching. You can use um, dynamic joint mobility where you circle the joints and you can use what I call integrated movement patterns, which is then when you try and investigate something with coordination and balance and, and um, something that makes you have to pay attention to then try and cement all that stuff together. And that's really effective. And that's what we've taught in some of our movement programs. Yeah. But to be even more accurate, you need to get that assessment and get that feedback from the body involved. Um, a lot of touch and certain sensory stimulus to get feedback to see where the body and the brain is require, requiring specific um, specific sets of inhibition. So you can stack inhibitory stimuli on top of each other in a way that the system specifically requires, as in the nervous system specifically requires, to give you the response that you want. And a lot of it comes down, strangely enough, to intention. It comes down to the, the, the communication going on between a practitioner and the subject and the intention of the practitioner being, okay, we're wanting to ultimately improve range of motion and flexibility in a safe, efficient um, an accurate way, essentially subjects, nervous system, talking subconsciously here, um, show me specifically where you need this stimulus to allow that to happen. And that's kind of what the process does for you. It allows you to communicate with the person's body on that kind of level. And you find out that maybe you don't need to do anything with the hamstring to increase hip flexion range of motion. Maybe you need to be working at the gastroc and it's for... 10 seconds and you're going to tap a particular deep tendon reflex which is on the other side of the body and you're going to have them use their eyes in a specific way because unless you get that level of feedback via assessment you're pretty much just guessing and going on what are supposed to be rules and guidelines of how the body works but everyone's individual and those rules and guidelines don't fit every single nervous system you're going to come across right so um i guess that's kind of um you know, where I've come at it in terms of the complexity and the movement stuff and something like flexibility in terms of, um, uh, you know, joint restrictions and stuff at the end of the day, the muscles are intelligent, um, you know, contractile compartments of the body that are integrated with the entire system. So they're integrated with everything from, um, the endocrine system, um, with, with various substrates, with neurotransmitters, with the peripheral, the central nervous system, the interceptive system, um, with, with everything, the viscera, everything, um, with your thoughts, absolutely everything. So if a joint is restricted and not moving and you're looking at it and saying, 
for example, let's take the example of the shoulder, like you said. Yeah. If um, if somebody can't take their arm back in, you know, abduction, stone rotation, and a bit of flexion in terms of lengthening their pec, um, you're going to look at that and say, oh, your pec's tight. But then you have to go, okay, well, why is your pec tight? That's a, there's an intelligent adaptation that's mm-hmm. occurred there, and we need to uncover the layers as to why. And it could be something you've, you would never expect, but this is the point you've been able to assess on an individual basis um, and then provide the accurate stimulus to resolve the problem. Otherwise, you can just be kind of pissing in the wind and hoping that you're going to get a response with something. You know, if you follow those anatomical um, laws and guidelines and stuff that are given on how the body works, you would do a lot better than if you're, you know, if you don't follow those and you just try and beat the thing up and hope it moves better. But still, the accuracy and the effectiveness comes when um, when you really know how to assess and find out what those 86 billion neurons think about the problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's very much a, like a sniper rather than a shotgun approach then, David. I think it's, it's yeah. a really interesting. So, so one just question to follow up on that, um, and I, I want to move on to just uh, something else that you, you mentioned was, so improvements in range of movement and flexibility mobility from your perspective when you're working with a client it sounds like it's a very two-way um, process and, and there needs to be quite a bit of conscious um, interaction from the part of the client is that is that right and, and then you're kind of like playing with the system and then they're consciously feeding back rather than it being it's, a passive line of couch and get sports massage well, for an hour or, or how does it fit together it's yeah it's okay so it it, when I we could go into all kinds of depths on this stuff, but there is there is a subconscious communication when um, the practitioner is applying the system because they're utilizing touch and there is an intention behind the process of assessment. They're trying to establish um, the information associated with problem X, right? So if that's if that's if that's to improve flexibility, if it's someone has chronic pain, if they're in some acute pain, if there's some issue in the body, the intention is to try and uncover the information associated with that. And that's kind of a subconscious thing. And that changes um, the the information that's exchanged between the practitioner and the subject on a subconscious level. In terms of conscious feedback, specifically with flexibility, if we go back to that again, you really do have to have that commun- communication going with the client in terms of um, the correct intensity um, of a stretch and contraction you have to have the um, conscious interaction in terms of them understanding what relaxation is at the right time coordinating breath and that kind of thing and you obviously never want to move people into a position that causes any kind of startle yeah. or withdrawal kind of responses so there's the conscious communication on that level um, and ultimately we are going to move them from a seated standing or lying posture when we're doing a treatment into movement and then you know we want coaching to be not overly verbal that's one of the things sometimes too many verbal cues confuse things you really want to provide uh, first of all normalize the system to the degree that it can fire and try and complete the task you're then going to ask them to do in terms of movement that helps a, a lot and then try and provide context in which the nervous system just kind of reflexively adapts to the to yeah. the problem that you're trying to get them to solve so i guess that kind of covers the the comms yeah. there's some really interesting stuff in that around um some conversations that we've been having recently um, with people around skill acquisition of trying mm-hmm. to bypass some of the conscious to make it an unconscious process and that actually creating a, a deeper layered and more robust movement at the end of it um rather than like from a sports performance perspective which is our background of going actually you want performance under pressure you want skill um or delivery of movement and skill under pressure then that therefore is much better when it's an unconscious process i was just interested whether those same principles sort of apply into into the work that you guys do particularly in that example um around the uh, the flexibility mobility um side of things um 
and the, the following question today was just around, you, you talked about the whole body being linked. Um, and it's something that we definitely feel within calisthenics of when we're trying to create handstand positions or back levers or whatever it might be, static holds. Um, this idea of, uh, of, the, of our kinetic chain working together and then fascia linking everything together. And a, a very simple anatomy textbook would have us believe that the bicep is separate to the pec, is separate to the lat. And as you touched on before, that's all... That's all linked. It's all even connected into the bones, the ligamentous tissue, um, organs. It's all wrapped up in this fascia. And um, I know it's something you've written a blog about, which we recommend people go and, go and check out. But I'd love you just to kind of touch on that about the fascial system, what it is, because I think we've been a lot of people with basic knowledge um, from what they gain from school or, or whatever they've touched on anatomy might not really kind of um, include where our current thinking is around what we're actually made up of and how it's all connected. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed writing that article. Actually, it was a good. It was a. It was a good process to go through. Um, so, I'll, I mean, I'll first caveat this with the fact that I don't. I'm, you know, I'm not reading like 2018 research on current, you know, um, advancements and understanding of, of of fascia and connective tissue and stuff. But I'll definitely be able to give you my perspective on on what it is and how it works from a a bioelectrical, a neurological, and a, and a, and a geometrical perspective. So. Essentially, when we, fascia is kind of it's a bit of a misnomer in terms of the in, in terms of the term, it kind of conjures up images of you know cutting a steak and you see a, like a white sheet, um, and people think that fascia is then you know white and flat and sheet like, and that's what it is in the body. But but when we refer to fascia, we're really referring referring to constitutive tissue. It's kind of it's the everywhere tissue. It connects absolutely everything. So it's continuous from the surface of the skin right through to the cell. So it literally connects absolutely everything. Um, in terms of geometry, it, it's fascia is both um, fibrilla, as in it's got lots of um, string-like structures which morph and change and break into different uh, strings under under stress. But it's also um, it is composed of one of the platonic solid shapes, which is called an icosahedron. So there's there's these sections called um, not sections, but there's these um, shapes within fascia called microvacuoles, which are icosahedrons. Which and an icosahedron's kind of like a, a, a football um, in that it's got lots and lots of little bits that make up the shape. So it's got twenty um, regular triangular faces which make up this icosahedron shape. And the point in discussing that is that it's really, really interesting how the body has evolved to to have that geometry in terms of fascia because it's this perfect forms this perfect um, geometry which ultimately fills all space in three dimensions and really efficiently and perfectly distributes um, force across the entire network. And I give the example in the article where if you imagine you've got a balloon, that balloon isn't an icosahedron, but if you squeeze a balloon and put compressive force on it you'll see you'll see that the the internal volume spreads to the end to dissipate the force right and then it's all the all the forces then dissipated around the surface of the balloon as well in terms of the tensile force but an icosahedron does it much better than that and these icosahedrons on a very very small scale are basically providing the structure which keeps the body upright and maintains its form all of the time so it has this perfect way we have this perfect way as human beings of distributing um, force and tensile stresses across the entire system so that whole idea of muscle um, individual contractile units um, as you described the bicep runs from here to here and it does this um, it, it is really really incorrect i mean it's a very outdated you can you can show it i mean you can show it in an isolated fashion using an emg study you go look it does it contracts 
Sure, but in t- movement doesn't occur like that, really. We have to consider movement occurs across the entire system from the, you know, the top of your head to the tip of your toe and to the ends of your fingers. And it's all involved in dissipating stress and forces and, and you know, distributing tension. So when we move and when we load, it's the muscles are obviously playing a role, but it's the fascia which is the most it's the richest sensory organ that we have, this constitutive tissue, which includes everything from all of the mysiums through the layers of the muscle surrounding the, the viscera, uh, becoming tendons, becoming ligaments. And it's just one big continuous, even into the bone, is one big continuous um, system. And it actually wraps around all of the neuromuscular apparatus within those muscles that we're discussing. So it's not... Um, it's, it's not detached from the nervous system, if you like. It encases parts of the nervous system. And it's also supplied and in contact with pretty much every single receptor that we have and autonomic and peripheral nerve endings. So it's really, it, can, it could be considered, you know, next to the eyes, the richest, you know, the, really the richest, most well-informed sensory organ that we have. So everything that happens in the body um, is being communicated via this constitutive tissue. So we have a geometry to it, which perfectly just distributes stress across its, the entire network of the body. It has this fibrillar um, motion where the, these long string-like structures that morph and change and allow movement to occur. And some of those across the muscles are orientated kind of circumferentially, like around the muscle. And then when the muscles elongate, they move longitudinally. And again, they're distributing force perfectly like that. Um, and of course, it's composed of collagen, right? So collagen is is another um, really, really big component of, of how the body works and moves in terms of it's a triple helical structure and a helix by its very design is also brilliant at balancing tensile and compressive forces. So uh, the triple helix structure of collagen is incredibly important and the triple helix itself is maintained by something called hydroxyproline, which has an electronegative um, charge and that's we go into electricity quite a lot in our education and it's actually the electronegative charge of the collagen it's actually dipolar collagen it's like a battery has a, a positive charge end and a negative charge end but overall it has a net negative potential and it's this net negative potential of the collagen which actually maintains the triple helical structure of it and that's called this stereo electronic effect so there's this huge just integration of everything that makes you human kind of displayed in the stuff that holds you together and maintains your form. So um, it is, it's a hugely, hugely important um, tissue. It's a hugely important topic to look into to try and get insight into how the body works because for those very reasons, it will, it will give you insight into how we function electrically and that's impacting, as I say, the cell, every, all the tissues from the, you know, from the, the nucleus of the cell through to the surface of the skin. Um, it, it's going to touch on neurology because you understand, get to understand that it's both a proprioceptive, um, extraceptive, and interoceptive organ. It's basically it's got information from everywhere, and it's, it it fires it up to the sensory cortex, the motor cortex, and ultimately to the interoceptive cortex which is the insular cortex Mm. and it has this specific geometry so um just under those three under those three um headings you've basically got a whole uh i mean there's stuff i haven't mentioned to do with water and magnetism and other things about how the body works but it 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 encompasses everything so yeah to, to so to just you know think you've got anatomy down when you understand basic muscle actions is really the tip of the iceberg and you really have to look further into um 
you know, how movement occurs, how it works and, and how the body is structured in terms of form, communication and electricity. Yeah, it's interesting. I was listening to a podcast actually. Just, I started, we're, we're looking at some research around um, calisthenics and particularly around shoulder health and the function of integrating um, shoulder movement with the rest of the kinetic chain. Um, and I started just dipping into some, some reading and learning a bit more around fascia and I, I, I was just starting to try and understand a bit more of Tom Meyer's work around anatomy trains. And I was listening to a podcast that he recorded. I think it's quite an old one. Um, but he was saying when, when we used to first get cadavers on the table and we would start to do dissection stuff, people were just like pulling out this kind of white kind of sticky stuff and chucking it on the floor so they could get at the, at the muscles and the nerves and all this, the stuff they thought was interesting. And the whole time now, we're actually realizing we were throwing away what was potentially some really important like substances within the body. Well, I'm thinking yeah. fascia would be the top trump if there was well, like a body top yeah. trump card. <laughs> but I remember learning my kinetic chain principles. You look at muscular skeletal and neural systems and how that kind of integrates and, and you get your sensory motor integration and then ultimately movement comes as a result of that. And I've been, again, chewing around this idea of actually that needs updating to have a fascial system. But that almost encompasses the whole thing. It is not a system by itself. It's a system which is part of the musculoskeletal neural system. And, and again, we're, we're not we're taking endocrines and that sort of stuff into that conversation as well. And um, I'm going to throw some stuff at you, Dave, and let you come back because it's really interesting just to hear you talk about it. So it's those kind of ideas of, of where we're kind of what we're thinking from an applied perspective of, of how does this fit into movement and, and us being able to coach movement and better um understand the system so that we can get better outputs for people but I also kind of looked in recently to some work by Franz Bosch and in, in, in his book in strength training and coordination and then dynamic systems theory and he doesn't sort of directly talk about it and I haven't really seen that in, in the literature around dynamic systems theory connecting with fascia but we're this idea that we not necessarily a top top-down driven organism with the brain making all the decisions and then feeding information out because it just doesn't seem like it's a logical and effective way of doing it but actually systems and structures around the body making decisions and feeding that into the central nervous system to then guide movement um, and it's, it's really interesting when I'm, when I'm listening to hear you talk and what I understand about fascia and then looking at what Franz Bosch is talking around and some of this dynamic systems theory actually we're talking one and the same but that stuff hasn't necessarily been brought together and it sounds like that's what you guys are doing. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just trying to understand. Um, you know, I, I've heard um, Franz Bosch's name come up a couple of times. I haven't read his stuff, but I will do. Yeah, um, I'm just trying to think uh, to summarize. You know, this point in terms of the, the, like, you know, the integration of everything. So the way the way that my mind's kind of thinking about it now is that fascia does provide this 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 system and this understanding that basically uh let's say load sharing okay so and we can take this into gymnastics stuff and calisthenics as well so there, there is a load sharing via the geometrical electrical design of the body it's distributing and sharing the stress over the entire system um because that's the most efficient way to main to to do it and to maintain the form of the body and when it comes to learning movement, I think ultimately, you know, the task is also shared, right? It's not just um, the brain on its own. The brain is something which is has to have feedback. It's constantly, the, the, there's this constant self-reference from the nervous system and the brain over the body. And for it to do that, it has to gain feedback from its receptors and it's not that fascia, for example, is a receptor unto itself. It, it, has its, it has a response that is electrical and geometrical, which is sharing the responsibility of allowing someone to learn how to move in terms of form. 
But then that information is then combined and shared with all of the neurological information, which fires into the spinal cord and back out and causes local adaptations, but also fires into you know, the, the motor learning apparatus, if you like, that's what's distributed by, you know, the basal ganglia and the cerebellum and the sensory motor cortices and all the other bits and bobs. Um, and it's just this integration, this sharing of the task, which allows somebody to ultimately overcome a movement problem and to acquire a skill. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, so, so yeah, it's that cumulative it's the input, isn't it? That there's lots of sort yeah. of communicating and sharing information around the system to actually create an outcome. And I guess the hard bit for for people that are listening to this and that are doing calisthenics is like, okay, but well, what does that mean? Yeah, I was well, just, I think I think if I could just jump in, what it kind of means it, for me, it it really comes down to um, what that means is is feel down to sense. And one thing that I, I noticed, I, for years and years and years, I mean, when I first got into training, like most people who become personal trainers and stuff, you're into bodybuilding for a period of time, right? Um, and I, I just weight trained and all I wanted to do was gain muscle mass, blah, blah, blah. And I did that for a long time. Then I got into Olympic lifting and more strength stuff. And then I felt like I'd evolved from bodybuilding into strength training. And that was, you know, I was all like, ooh, I'm so cool now. And then, um, you know, but you got still, the shoes and everything. So, yeah, no, totally, 200 quid in a pair of shoes. And well, then you started um, doing car sex and then you thought you were really cool. I thought really slick. Yeah, no, but then what, what it kind of means is that, when by the end of my by the time I'd been training for you know for 10 12 years or whatever I had my sports background was when I was a yeah, kid up until 18 and then you know I was like all about weight so by the end of that 10 years I moved like shit I really moved badly and I was very tight really restricted and had a very poor um unless you gave me a ball you know and I was doing something hand-eye coordinated coordination based I moved like crap and it took me so long to learn how to do more complex movements which is one of the reasons i really tried to pursue it because i I suck and i don't like being really sucky at stuff so i i persevered but what i i noticed in that process is that you develop a sense you develop an awareness an expansion of awareness over um, essentially where your body is in space and how to coordinate that um and it's this it's what all this stuff about fascia and integration and all that kind of stuff and the sharing, you know, the load sharing and the the sharing of information between the brain, the body, the tissues, the form, all that stuff, is that you're basically when you do calisthenics or complex movement patterns, you're 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 training a sense really. You're training and uh, developing a a rhythmical, coordinated, um, integrated sense of the body, and you can't get that from strength and conditioning like mm. you, you can't it's not something that is necessary to develop you you don't really have to um sense to the same degree you do a handstand as a, a back squat you know you can you hold the bar you remain tight and you get a feeling of sitting back appropriately and keeping the knees out etc and you drive and you express tensional compressive strength right that's what you do but a handstand there's skill like this. It's a skill, right? And there's a sense to the skill. And once you're able to feel it, that's when you. That's when it evolves. That's when you get that moment and just so you know stuff just expands. It changes. You felt it, and then you make this massive leap forward. I mean, can you relate to that? From yeah. what I'm we yeah no we like. Well, I remember when we were learning to um, trying to do the human flag, and Tim's talked about this before at workshops when we're teaching it, where there's there's this you've got that like you say that feeling when the sort of the penny drops when something clicks 
and you're you're trying to create this this push and pull with opposite arms and you're trying to link it into how you're going to align your hip with it and and there's there is a time when it's not like you then hold it for 10 seconds but there's just a um a glimmer of hope or something that like in your brain's just gone got it like, it's like it makes, a download isn't it yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. instant download something's just happened and you go oh i, I can't get it yeah, yeah it yeah, makes yeah, you exactly, think yeah. like actually now i can't do it yet but it don't feel it like we talk about redefining your impossible it just it breaks that like it just it just starts to nudge it slightly out of the impossible box to to make you think that okay now i feel like i've got the we sort of call it the movement pattern call it what one but that 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 we can actually make the right connection like you say the feeling the, the yeah um, it's a it's a sense i really think it's like it's, it's a sense it's, it's the it's basically a, a combination of interoceptive and proprioceptive sense that just you get these little downloads of as you go through the process of skill acquisition and just to tie it back i think that the thing that allows that to occur is this is essentially that you know the, the the constitutive tissue system which connects everything and allows you to feel where your toe is in mm. space when you eventually get it when you're upside down in comparison to your fingertips and the, the alignment of your head you yeah. know so yeah like you say it's a it's an there's a, there's an internal and also external feeling to it though like like you saying like where your where your toe is in space but then also how is that intrinsically feeling which I guess makes sense when you're saying of, of every, all of the different inputs that that we'll be able to to get from from the system. Um, yeah. So, Dave, there's one thing I was going to ask. I just written a couple of notes as you as you were talking around. Um, it, it goes back to the conversation you mentioned about your. Sorry, I forget his name. Your gymnastic. The guys can just do a split of forty. Luke. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he and we we see this a lot in people in calisthenics who've got a gymnastics background. They just have an ability to do stuff that Dave and I are still having to fight for. Coming in from a rugby background with busted shoulders and um, less than optimal approaching system. Try. I started calisthenics when I was 33, 34 years old, having had played rugby since I was nine. Um, so not ideal. Um, and then two slap repairs on my shoulder. Um, I kind of look at we we have a big gymnastics club in Nottingham and um, they have a, they have an extensive waiting list and I think people really understand from a children's perspective I've got a little boy he's 17 months old um, that gymnastics is good because they see what it brings but actually like I kind of look at it and go, well, gymnastics is a expression of coordinated movement. And that's really what it's teaching you, some of the principles that you're, you, you've discussed. But that could actually be in different forms. It doesn't need to be gymnastics specific. We're just talking about like slightly different approaches and learning to move in different ways, challenging the system in different ways, giving different stimulus, as opposed to getting five-year-olds and, and just not only allowing them to but um it just being about kicking a ball or holding a ball or or something i think that's quite an interesting thing for people that have got kids of just going actually just let's just play and play with movement and challenge movement and that's actually going to set us up for a really healthy future in terms of what we want to do with our bodies a hundred percent i absolutely could not agree more i i i wish i'd had you know that background for even for a few years as a child um, in gymnastics or something like that. I, again, I got to, I should probably also mention here that Luke isn't actually nearly 40. He's younger than I am, but in case he <laughs> listens to this. But um, yeah, but no, I do wish I had that background as well. And I think it is, it's a, it's a great recommendation to get children into um, organized play, organized play-based movement stuff which is generally speaking one of the best things of it is is gymnastics there's also dance is also yeah. i mean 
when you look at, I mean, I don't know if you guys know any any high level dancers or you know have seen the what contemporary dancers can do with their bodies. I mean, it is the most beautiful integrated expression of what you can do with a human body in my opinion yeah. it's, it's incredible a friend um, of mine's nephew was billy elliott uh, um in london or whatever and he oh yeah. was sick on the dance floor let's say but just like i did a session with him in the gym and he was trying to teach me to do like a a, a, a backflip whatever but he was just yeah like you say just incredible and those 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 transferable skills that you get from things like that and but gymnastics it's, it's with coachability as well though right yeah. so like actually when you've got yeah. so we've learned that stuff at a young mm-hmm. age coming to take on new movement tasks when you're older it's like you talk about that system is just geared up to learn and i've always when i used to work as a strength and conditioning coach at nottingham trent university and i would do the performance squads there i might have 12 different squads or whatever and the freshies are coming every year and there'll be a couple across that you just moved well and they're typically were actually the girls and I'd go up to them and say, what have you done before? And, and most of the time, nine times out of ten, gymnastics or dance yeah. and they just yeah. knew how to manage themselves. And, and then the job is, okay, we need to get you strong because you're a football player now, whatever. But they just had a natural affinity to move well and then they become a real joy to coach because you throw anything at them and they're like, oh yeah, and no, I get that because they know their body. Yeah, And, I, yeah, I, and yeah. I'm like you, Dave, in that I would... I always like I played rugby professionally for 13 years and also moved like crap when I finished playing for a number of different reasons in terms of you know a lot of your weight training went like like your story like bodybuilding weren't necessarily bodybuilding but we were it was all very sagittal play movements and also getting beaten up every week by massive blokes that was the rugby um (laughs) Joey leaves you pretty tight and restricted and everything and and I would always say I've always said the same thing like I wish when I was younger I'd done you know, my, my dad took me, as well as to uh, rugby, took me to a gymnastics club. Not that I wanted to be a gymnastics, but it would be very good to have what that would give you as a bit of a base. But what I would say, and it would be, it would be the same with you, you wouldn't be um, the person you are today in terms of a coach and being able to relate to people if you hadn't of gone through your journey of you did your bodybuilding, you got tight, and then you've had to like re, re, you know, go through that realisation yourself yeah, might have been a longer journey, but it makes you uh, uh, who you are today and a hell of a better coach, I believe, off the back of it. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, it, yeah, nothing in terms of movement has come um, easy for me, like I said, unless I've had a ball involved. But then yeah. that's something, again, I would think about now. I, I worked out so hard um, over the years. But, you know, I, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, It makes you relatable when you're working with someone yeah. that also yeah, can't yeah, yeah. touch their toes and you go... Yeah, no, neither could I. And they go, what? And like, whatever that is. Um, I yeah. think that's really, that's when you're talking about a holistic approach to everything with your stuff you're doing, like I see that type of thing as even a massive part of it. It's been something that's been helpful for, for me and Tim that when we're trying to learn calisthenics, people have seen, you know, when I first tried to do a frog stand or a crow stand, mm. I just fell straight on my face. That's how bad it was at the beginning. But being able to tell that story to someone genuinely when they're finding it a bit difficult at the start because they've literally done none, it gives yeah. them that, um, uh, like it opens the mind up to go, okay, like, well, maybe I can do something. Maybe I can do it. Yeah, 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 exactly. Really, you know, there's not, they might, they might have a load of uh, restrictions physiologically as well that they need to sort out. But the brain and the mind in terms of what we believe and think we can do, it has got to also be integrated into 
um, you know, that fascial system as well. In, in yeah, massively. Way. That's probably another um, conversation going forward. Um, something just picking up on picking up on that and you know, that that idea of like having a story of which a lot of our uh, audience and listeners will be in. You won't be alone, Dave, in going. Hmm. Um, after a while of lifting weights, I got bored of that, and uh, I realised that actually I should be able to put my arm above my head to pick up um, a, a glass from my top shelf when I want to have a drink uh, without getting shoulder impingement and pain. Um, as, as an example, and I realized, starting to realize that, yeah, maybe actually I'm not particularly moving that well and, and start to see move into um, a bit more of a movement-based training with body weight, calisthenics, whatever that might be. Um, mm. And that, so that's where a lot of um, our listeners will come from. And they'll have some of these restrictions and just they might have listened to the conversation so far and gone, crikey, that sounds like a complex or be amazing or didn't realize it was just i just thought my pec was tight and that's why mm. i can't get my arm overhead but what would for somebody that is um i'm probably well aware that for some other someone else they might go oh this is way too much for me i'm just going to carry on cracking on doing whatever they're doing but for those that have like buy into the idea okay yeah i've also tried stretching and i've tried myself my fascial release on my pec and then and i've been doing it every day it doesn't really seem to be making that much difference i agree that there might be something something else to play in with me improving my movement what would be other than obviously signing just straight up to one of your courses or, or working straight is there anything um is there any little like takeaways that someone could just um it's probably quite a hard question but is there anything someone could try to at least explore do a little bit um, themselves at home maybe to to try and encourage yeah, yeah, absolutely. to be a bit better definitely um, so, so yeah I mean the, when I'm, I'm talking I've obviously mentioned the level of accuracy and specificity that we try to go into because mm-hmm. over the years I've just you know when you work therapeutically with people um, you can be going great guns and you might be you know just like you've got these you know golden Jesus like hands and everything you do is going really well and everyone's getting better you're like oh, I'm amazing and then you remember then something doesn't go well and somebody gets worse and you go oh no what did I do wrong or and those cases tend to stick out so that really drove me to really 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 try and be as specific and accurate in every single session yeah. I possibly could which is why I've discussed that you know that level yeah, of no, no. Um, assessment but in terms of um, a more generalized intelligent approach to trying to improve your body's capacity to move um simple things that you can do are they they revolve around um rhythm complexity and coordination essentially it's 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 trying to incorporate um more of your attention and your neurological apparatus into the equation because when when you do that with movement um you're you're increasing the the flow up to the brain from the body and obviously around the body but you're also increasing the proprioceptive output from the brain to the body and just just in doing so you get a little bit stronger you get a little bit freer um and you basically increase your your capacity to to learn new movements so one of the ways to do that is is joint mobility that's a really simple and easy way so um this there's a whole bunch of ways to do this i mean it i i like to talk about um, sequencing. So for example, let's say, you know, if you were sat on your butt and you were doing, um, like hip rolls, like, you know, side to side glute rolls, rolling in and out of 90, 90 stretches. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That kind of position. Yes. 
you can sit in that posture. And first of all, if you can't sit in that posture upright, you should elevate your butt a little bit. Okay, so you've got better alignment. And you want to use the minimal kind of um, support from the hands. So there, straight away, you're kind of, you've improved form by just allowing you, you know, to compensate a little bit with some assistance so that you yeah. get a better alignment. Um, and instantly, we've, 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 we've garnered attention on what it is that we're doing. We're not just going to sit down and just run through a bunch of drills because that's what I'm supposed to do before I, before I go and train or whatever. So now we're going to bring attention into it. And one thing you can do in this example would be to consider something that's going to lead the sequence and something that's going to follow it. So that could be anything you have available to move in the body. So let's start off. If we're in that seated posture, we're nice and upright, and we're going to go for one of those 90-90 rolls. Let's say we're going to the left, and I'm going to lead with my left knee so then i'm going to put my attention on my left hip and i'm slowly going to lead that knee out and down towards the floor and at some point you're going to feel the pull it's going to start to tug and pull the other leg along and you can try and just allow that to happen and be aware of where that occurs in the movement and your goal may be your intention may be to move with as much ease as possible and you're just paying attention to where each of the movements occur in terms of in terms of a something that leads and drives the movement or something that follows it or you can start to put more attention and bring tension into it where you then try and oppose the joint that's trying to trail and follow the leading joint and try and keep it back for as long as possible so they're really simple little tweaks and you just start bringing your attention your awareness into the movement which basically means that your your brain is starting to pay a lot more attention instead the, the, the concept behind this is the same for everything in terms of you know um, feldenkrais and, and somatics and all those things it's about attention, focused attention. And when you put your attention on your movement, stuff's going to change because it has to. Because when you move without attention, your, your brain wants to conserve energy. It wants to be as energy efficient as possible due to survival wiring. So if you just sit down and do something as you've always done it, it's going to use a habituated pattern with the least amount of energy. And there's going to be no particular change. You're just going to get warm and mm -hmm. there's not going to be a whole lot of stuff happen. But when you focus on it, and put yeah. your attention on it. and you understand that there's a whole bunch of things you can do with just even if you wanted to lead with your eyes to the side that you're going to roll the knee and then turn your head and then rotate the spine a bit and then let the knee go it, it, everything changes everything changes and you start to get a little bit more ease in the movement and the, you know this is just using your neurology and it's it's um it, it's there for the taking because we've got all of these receptors we're interconnected as we've discussed in a whole world of ways and if you just put your attention on what you're doing um, yeah. and slow down a bit or consider that you're going to use tension and you're trying to dissociate more than you normally would one part from the next or the intention is to move with as much ease as possible, your body's going to change and adapt more readily. And you'll feel that you have a gross change in tension. So your overall range of motion will be better. That can be indicated by a roll down or a shoulder flexion or something like that. But also you're starting to engage in learning um new patterns and that's something which ultimately will will change how the the coordination system works if you include attention your intention attention and um rhythm and coordination um your stuff will get better and you can do that in any number of ways yeah i love it dave i mean and that i think the the challenge is set to everyone out there like move with intention and with more attention um yeah. just makes me think about it's it, it, mindfulness is a is a sort of hot topic at the moment. I've been doing a bit of mindful meditation in the mornings with my, with my wife, um, and mm -hmm. it's it's that mindfulness within within our movement and being very yeah, like you said, being very specific and 
intense about what we're going to do. Yeah, there's one that's thing something we can all do. So it's something that we and everyone out there we can all start to do with, whether it's our movement prep or whether it's actually even in our strength work, just in any parts of our our training. That's a great take home that people can go away and apply straight away. There's no excuses with that one. There's there's no reason why you can't. I think one of the things I think they around that is that there's actually some um, some people who are maybe coming at a later life and like we touched on before about sort of getting into some let's call them more sort of complex movement patterns but actually through calisthenics some level of uh, there's also simplicity in it um, but just an opportunity to develop their own kinesthetic awareness and sometimes people like using video to actually what did I feel like I was doing and what was my body actually doing yes. because there's yeah, not yeah. always the same thing yeah um, totally and getting somebody else maybe even, even a training partner to, to to give you some feedback on that um and then just re-educate and, and, and one thing I really like about it is what we're talking around is that like we're obviously fans of calisthenics but calisthenics isn't possible to do it you can't do it well unless you 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 go through that process because you need to understand the sequencing of the movement of how I'm going to yeah. how I'm going to create force how I'm going to shift my body how I'm going to distribute forces and it really does make me feel personally that I'm much more connected as a result of doing it and then the application of that into other movements <laughs> like if I wanted to go on strength training again like properly in terms of barbells or, or um, Olympic lifting I think I would do that a lot better and I think I would get a lot more development faster um because of that is that something that you've kind of seen with with some of your clients that actually their progression accelerates having done some of this work in other, other fields and endeavors um well i I, have, I mean i can tell you about my personal experience in that really um i dropped all weight training completely um i remember i was i was in the place I used to work at with, with blue my business partner and i was back squaring it was i was like i had I've never been that heavy, but it was about, I had about 150 kgs and I was grinding out these reps. And I remember racking the bar after he was spotting with it and just going, Oh God, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, why, like, why am I doing this? Have we got any pictures of you, Dave, as a bodybuilder? I'd love to see that. Uh, I probably have somewhere. Yeah. Um, and I, I just remember that being like, God, what I can't, what I don't want to do this anymore. And then I'm a very all or nothing kind of person. Right. And then after that, I switched and I dropped everything and I dropped loads of weight and I've got into all of the calisthenics stuff and that kind of thing. And I've gone through that process that we've been describing this whole time, right? So watching, trying to learn and get that visual feedback, trying to feel it, getting a sense and all that kind of stuff and all the things that you feel changing your body from that process. And I did that for many, many years. And then I got to a point, I was like, I kind of just fancy lifting some weights again, you know, like just like it, cause it's kind of mindless. It's kind of the opposite. Yeah, so yeah, it's not hard, it is it? Provides, <laughs> no, it provides, it provides that kind of balance. So I, I integrate stuff a lot. I don't really bother with Olympic lifting so much because it's, I've, it's kind of a little, it, it gets too annoying in my mind as to yeah. if I get too competitive with it. And I've just, I've dropped that. But I do integrate weight training with calisthenic stuff and complex stuff. Um, because I enjoy it, right? It's not mm. that it's not that it's not bad for you per se. It's not like that. I mean, it's, there's a lot of benefit from from strength training, strength and conditioning, and I like the feeling. I like the balance of being able to move in a fluid way, but also the feeling you get of the kind of the tension. Yeah, agreed. Um, yeah, I enjoy both. I really do enjoy both. But in terms of what you're saying about did I pick it up easier again? In terms of my lower body, no, <laughs> mm. um, because I hadn't squatted or loaded my legs over and above um, pistols um, mm. and doing athletic drills in in a long time. And I remember like shaking with sixty kilos on my back. So you've got to remember specific adaptation to imposed demands. Yeah. Um, and I was specifically unadapted to that imposed demand in a big, big way. So um, my upper body 
I, I definitely think like, yes, like training like muscle ups and stuff on rings and being able to do like, you know, ring based training that maintains a huge amount of strength. Mm. Um, but you do have to remember the specific adaptation. Yeah. It's still like if you lie down on a bench and you want to press the 120 kilos you used to press, it's, you're still going to have to regain that. Yeah, but relative know, to the lower body, the upper body, yeah, yeah, yeah. calisthenics, yeah. bodyweight stuff is of a higher load and higher demand. People, say, with your muscles people forget that. There's a skill in bench pressing a lot of weight. Like you, it's, yeah. it's not, you think it's a fairly straightforward exercise, but you put a lot of weight on a bar and it's a skill to be able to yeah. move the bar appropriately. Yeah, control it's a it. form of it. Yeah. yeah. It's a yeah. skill I never had. um but dave yeah no thank you um thank you so much for those um those insights and those particular those take a message that people can go and um implement into their own training their own movement straight away if um where's where's the best place for people to find you if they want to know a little bit more about either you dave uh, fleming or um amn academy (laughs) <laughs> Good work. It's, uh, so basically, um, we're, we're all over Facebook, um, Applied Movement Neurology on Facebook. Um, Amen Academy is uh, our website, and on there you're going to find basically everything you're going to want to know about our. if you want to become a practitioner in our work or if you want to enroll and find out more about our holistic health paradigm, we have something called The Academy, which is our new website, um, where we're teaching everything about environmental health from sunlight and non-native electromagnetic fields to earthing and how to measure your environment. Uh, We teach about mind and meditation, um, what that does and why to do it, evolutionary nutrition. All of our movement stuff is within The Academy now, um, and we touch on some of the therapy there as well. So if you go to our website, amenacademy.com, you going to find all of the stuff that we go on about we've got our blog posts and all sorts of things for you to to, to get stuck into well i for one i'm going to get in there sounds great it does yeah, it does really good okay, we'll put the links um in the in the show notes so people can just click straight through um for them so dave thanks so much for your time until next week class dismissed now do we hope you've enjoyed this week's uh, School of Card Science podcast playground session. If you have enjoyed it, and we would really appreciate it if you would head over to iTunes or whatever platform you're enjoying this on and give us a five-star review. We realise there is one to four, but really it's only about the five stars. Mm-hmm. And that helps people to find us and we get to share this information with others. We hopefully can help them to redefine their impossible. Yeah, it's totally not about just trying to help our build us some confidence. <laughs> no, we're not at all insecure. So until next week, class dismissed.